Welcome to Dynamite Neddy. It's the Retro Games Podcast where a couple of old pals get together and talk about a couple of old games. Uh, the voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Um, I am joined by my usual co-host, Mr. Mick McCormick. Hello. And filling in for Andy Mack on a, we don't like to use the term filler episode, but essentially a filler episode, we have Mr. Leo Glaster. Hello, hello. There we go. So, as I say... We are taking a break from your usual programming just because, uh, listener, sometimes real life gets in the way and you have to you have to juggle about your schedules. Sometimes actually trying to get a time where we can all record is quite difficult. So in lieu of that, we are just going to, I guess, take a look at some games that we just want to talk about. It's a loose recommendations episode. Um, we're just going to talk to you about something... You know, whether we find it interesting or whether we think you would really enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's just a, a wee bit of a hidden gems episode, I would say. Well, depending on how obscure we think our, you think our tastes are. Yeah. <laughs> of opinion, uh, I suppose. I, I mean, I, I think there's maybe, there's at least a couple of people who have already switched this off. Are they three? <laughs> nah. This is going to be a load of shite. Boom. Fucking indie RPGs? No. Um, <laughs> um, but... In the meantime, lads, what have you been up to? How's it been going? So, I, in lieu of actually playing some games, I've been doing a wee bit of game development. I've got a wee project I've been working on, which is not quite ready for the public yet, but I'm feeling confident that um, you may be seeing it a bit soon. Yes. I've heard bits and pieces on the grapevine about this. I'll be careful not to divulge too much um, on the air, but it, it sounds it sounds cool. I've been just kind of wanting to mess about with this um, this engine called Game Maker. Had a few ideas. I was I was kind of just fanning about with some sort of wee graphical things. I was kind of slightly obsessed with um, after we we talked about Earthbound, the kind of mad psychedelic um, battle backgrounds that you get in Earthbound and how Aye. they kind of like how they warp and change colour and stuff like that. It's like a bit, quite quite fun to try and like program a wee system to do that. Is that not what Undertale was developed in? It is yeah. Um, yeah, Game Maker is pretty. It's, it seems pretty powerful. It's like I've, I've tried a few different games engines in the past and not gone that well with them. But this is like a kind of good balance where it's like it's not going to make any sort of like hyper complicated sort of triple A three D type things. It's mainly focused on you know two D pixel based stuff, which is what I'm interested in anyway. Aye, it's kind of simple enough that it, it kind of abstracts away the some of the more difficult. Kind of challenging things about making a game like you know physics engines and AI and stuff like that. It kind of does some of that stuff for you, but it's also kind of flexible enough that you can get some freedom and the sort of things you can program. Kind of making some some mad kind of graphical effects and stuff like that, which I'm quite enjoying as well. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd make a wee kind of like a Metroidvania type game. Where you're kind of exploring different levels and picking up items in order to unlock bits of the world. Um, but it's also inspired by uh, a very old arcade game called Joust, which I'm a big fan of. Oh, oh yep, I like Joust. Um, so the kind of movement of your character is, is inspired by that. This is one of the hangs for other loreheads out there. You might have heard Joust mentioned on the podcast before. How I've got a, a theory that everybody's got one arcade game that will call to them that they'll be naturally kind of better at than others, and it'll just it, it speaks the language of the player. And this, uh, Mister McCormick, if you see a if you see a joust cabinet in the wild, he's out there. Hey, I don't know what it is, but I just just kind of clicked with me. I've not actually played it in quite a while, so I'm kind of like basing all my my, my engine up, all the stuff about how this game feels purely from memory. <laughs> so it might end up being fuck all at joust. <laughs> it might make it better. Do you know what I mean? It's like um... a cool way of. Uh... Interpreting a game is just from how you remember it from years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like um, how Happy Days evokes this sense of fifties nostalgia, but it wasn't actually made people who were a butcher in the fifties, um, <laughs> or you know Stranger Things. How those fucking uh, guys that made it, they're like, oh, we we love eighties shit, but they weren't alive during the eighties. <laughs> like it's, the kind of idea of it is maybe more powerful than the actual substance. As <laughs> something that's kind of fascinating me, especially with this eighties sort of throwback stuff. Like um, 
you know, you, you've got things like Stranger Things, you've got that kind of synthwave type music, and it's like, oh, this sounds just like the 80s. It doesn't really sound no. in like the 80s. Like, no. <laughs> I mean, it kind of magnifies certain aspects of it with the kind of synthesizers and the neon and all that. But, I mean, it's, yeah, kind of hyper-real, <laughs> hyper-real simulacrum of, of what it actually was like. And um, it doesn't it doesn't really um, take into account some of the stuff that happened in the 80s, such as... Um, Fear of impending nuclear warfare. No, um, not or, or the experience of living in, in Britain in the nineteen eighties, where it was no, kind of not e- economic economic recession, <laughs> trade union activities in that eighties media that we get fucking fed as like. Um, Oh, I Miami Vice suits with the sleeves rolled up and flock of seagulls. I ran so far away and crazy hairstyles. It's not like the actual reality of life, which was like fucking poll tax riots, mines, <laughs> <laughs> mine closures, things like that. Well, Mister Leo Glaster here has also been um, fiddling about with a, a game making tool. If if I'm if I'm right in saying, are you still been pottering about on the old GB Studio, Leo? I've I've not I've not touched it for a while. So I, I had a concept for a game that I've been wanting to make for a while, and I started playing about with something called G Develop, which is a free tool that's that's fairly simple uh, to use. And then I came across something else called GB Studio, which is um, slightly less simple to use, but I like it because it's specifically designed for making Game Boy games, which is uh, something that I have a particular affection for. Yeah, and it actually spits out ROMs that you can play in a Game Boy emulator, or I suppose you could like flash them onto some sort of flashcard and play on the Game Boy. It's pretty cool. And you can make, yeah, you could put uh, make sort of homebrew cartridges for it, which I quite, I don't know, I very much doubt I would ever get around to doing that, but I like the idea <laughs> of it. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been uh, piddling about with that. M- most of what I do is come up against a problem and then go into the subreddit and ask someone to solve the problem for me, and then carry on until I come up <laughs> against the next problem. So I haven't got that far with it, but yeah, I've been I've been trying to get into that. As well, I've definitely gotten further than I have with any of my previous attempts at doing something like it. Um, I started making a game in that, and then I just get bored. I mean, like, I know what like a fucking a Wayne playing with a color and in book, and then somebody walks in with an electronic keyboard, and you go, "Oh, I want to try that now." Um, I just kind of jump through <laughs> one project to another, um, and I, I, I had this kind of half finished GB Studio thing. Just sat here, but it's a it's a cool tool. Um, you were t- talking to us before about how the t- certain developers find that limitation quite inspiring. You know how everything can only be three colours. You've only got your your brush, your paint brush for the entire world. You've only got three different pixel colours. Music is very fucking restricted in terms of what you can do. Um, the program in itself, there's not a huge deal of things, that, different things that you can do with it. So it. 25 characters of like written characters on screen at one time as well so you have to be the the dialogue has to be very uh <laughs> efficient no visual novels then <laughs> i think the trick is just kind of find finding a an engine and a platform that you're comfortable with like um why i was going for game maker in particular i was also like i think always if i'm coming up with kind of game ideas because i'm a big fan of it RPGs and kind of big conceptual things that I think often come up with ideas in my head that are just far too big and ambitious to achieve um, with just like a single person with with um, a cursory bit of programming knowledge. I think I always um, come up with some sort of plot about travelling to loads of different locations across the galaxy and going on an, an epic quest. And I was <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to make that myself. I, I really want to make like the RPG version of just a short story. Yeah, and that's the way forward. I think uh, the, one of the, the most important step for me that I've learned about trying to learn how to develop games myself is that I have to, if I have an idea for a game I want to make, I have to sit and think about it for about six months. And if, <laughs> if after about six months I'm still interested in it and I still think it's worth doing, then I'll start working on it because I, I otherwise. I'll do exactly what you did, make, and I'll, I'll start diving into it, start making it, and then realise, oh, this isn't what I want to do anymore, I want to do something else. Well, speaking of people making passion projects, McCormick, you've got an an indie game for us that you want to sort of talk about as our kind of first offering this evening, if you want to tell us what you've got. Yeah, so this is another trip back into the past um, to 
a period of indie games before indie games were cool um, when they were actually quite lame but uh, endearing <laughs> in, uh, in, in, in a way um, back to the 2006 um, this is a game called 1213 and it's by Ben Yatsi Croshaw who you may be familiar with probably from the uh, Zero Punctuation series which is a kind of series of like um, video game reviews that were posted on the Escapist website and now they're on YouTube. And those videos have been made for like a long time. <laughs> like I, I I had no idea they were actually still going um, until I looked this guy up. But yeah, he's doing videos about Cyberpunk 2077 and <laughs> stuff like that. Like I think they've been going for like at least 10 or so years probably. Long now. time. I, I, was, I remember watching his videos, uh, yeah, at least 10 years ago. Yeah. When he was on and, the and they were they were fucking. I don't I don't know if it's just um what kind of social media bubbles I'm I'm hovering about in these days, but I seem to remember them being a lot bigger. Like they were, they seem to be really really fucking popular for a while. Yeah, they were they were pretty popular. Um, it's a kind of it was like pre YouTube. Like yeah, you had to go on a kind of special website to, to watch them and stuff like that. But I was kind of it was known for these kind of like. Fast talking, like quite snarky sort of reviews of games, like where he wasn't afraid to kind of call out all the things that were wrong with him and make some make me jokes about them and stuff like that. He's still kind of doing that, although I feel as I've gotten older, the shtick's worn off a wee bit. I mean, I think I hit a point with watching them where I was kind of like, and I, I, I like games that he's made as well, which we can talk about, but purely on the review show thing, I ended up going, fuck this cunt, man. It's too, neg- it's, it's too negative. All he does is moan and tear games to pieces. If I'm ever talking about this medium on some kind of podcast, for instance, I'm going to try and big up what I like rather than tear down what I hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, because I mean, what's the point? Especially if it's a game that you weren't going to play anyway. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was all it was all quite funny and to me until he started like slighting games that I liked. I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> you've taken you've taken this too far. I've quite quite popular for a long time. Um, I kind of had a, a dark thought that um, you know since I'd not really paid checked in with him for a while that he'd maybe turned into like a Gamergate guy. Thought he might be a kind of prime candidate to be to be one of those types. Here, I had wondered about that because he wore a fedora. That was part of his online persona. I think he's kind of fashioned himself as the the kind of last vanguard of people being allowed to wear fedoras without being <laughs> these, I mean, these, if, he's, if he's leaned into it you know with enough conviction then yeah it probably makes it almost kind of cool again it's like fuck you I'm still going to wear it <laughs> um, but yeah just that kind of like kind of snarky atheist vibe about him that sort of like a lot of those people kind of evolved into being far right but um, to his credit as far as I can tell he has not done so he's just um, a bit of a relic um, of, of a, a, a kind of more enlightened age on the internet, but anyway, um, before he got his start on the um, making these zero punctuation videos, that are very popular. He was more well known for making games, um, mostly adventure games. He used a, a system called Adventure Game Studio, um, which is one of the kind of earliest sort of like um, sort of indie game development tools um, that I'm aware of. When they, it was initially released in 1997, which is pretty old um, for these, um, you know, for these kind of tools. Um, quite, quite limited, but I think he managed to get, yeah, he managed to get quite a lot out of it. It was designed to make sort of games like um, the kind of Sierra adventure games. And yeah, it originally came out on DOS and then kind of made its way to, to Windows. So yeah, it made a number of these games the most kind of well-known ones being uh, the series it started with, I think it was called Five Days a Stranger. Five Days a Stranger, Seven Days a Skeptic. Um, there's another one, the sequel. Um, those are kind of Sierra-style adventure games. Um, and I think those are probably the most well-known ones. But yeah, this one is a wee bit of a departure. It's still made in Adventure Game Studio, but it's more of a kind of flashback or Prince of Persia-style platformer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is like kind of a very old um, engine, you know, designed for these point-click adventure games, but not really sure how he's done it, but he's managed to kind of like wrangle things into making a, a pretty much almost completely different genre of game than this engine. And yeah, it's kind of inspired by these kind of 
uh, cinematic platformers. Basically, kind of story is that you you wake up, you're playing this um, kind of bandaged man. He's kind of dressed in these grey, blood-stained overalls. It looks as if he's some sort of um, like inmate or prisoner. He's not getting any memories. I've got to admit, give me a game that starts off with amnesia any day of the week. It's it's a very decent way to start a computer game, I think. You really can't get wrong with it, can you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the oldest trick in the book when it comes to computer games. You know, it's like how can you bring the player into a, a, a mysterious world um, where they've got no kind of no bearings, no context of what's going on? Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean? Where's It's in Sector Two B, John, where it's always been like. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the line. Once you notice this once in films, you start hearing it all the time. The line, as you may know, or as a, as I'm sure, as I'm sure you know, <laughs> which is like the character obviously should know this, but the the audience doesn't, so we're going to repeat it anyway. But yeah, he's um. He's sitting in this cell, he's like, where am I? I've not got any memories, um, I feel ill. Don't know where this blood comes, blood's coming from, you know, what's my life all about? Um, and he keeps getting sort of taken out of his cell and put through these sort of trials, um, these kind of exercises by a sort of um, deranged scientist and administrator type of figure. He's kind of tormenting him, putting him through his face paces, making him like do platforming style challenges <laughs> for his own amusement. Um, You've got kind of portal vibes there, then. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff in this game is not particularly groundbreaking, particularly now. But I think the way it all kind of fits together is because it's pretty good. It's kind of more than the, some of its parts. So it plays, I guess, a bit like flashback, but unlike flashback, which if you've listened to a previous episode or, uh, or played it at all, it's pretty complicated in terms of the range of like um, manoeuvres you've got to master in that game where it's like ducking, rolling, drawing your gun getting into kind of like really tense gun battles and that Um, this is, and I don't know if it's just the limitations of the engine but it's a lot more simple actually in some ways I find it a wee bit more enjoyable at times because you feel like you are in control of uh, your your own faculties and you're a, a person that knows how to walk and jump without like, falling over and, and dying all the time. There's something about cinematic platformers that I've uh, realised as a player of video games. See if I'm playing Super Mario, uh, one of the old ones, and I, I run and jump and get to a platform that's far away. Still doesn't feel as if I've pulled that much cool shit off from that yeah. line. So what he does, he jumps for A to B. See if you add in a button that I need to hold so that I grapple onto the edge of that platform and have to pull myself up. Uh, you feel it sudden, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh, I just made it. Oh, God. Like, yeah. So much more exciting. I and like... You know, flashback in its kind of best moments um, sort of pulls that off. But I think that probably comes with a lot of experience with the, the controls and the Mega Drive controller and stuff. I'm just I'm just going to say um, the best moment of flashback is, of course, uh, the job centre. Because if Andy Mack was here, he would be saying job centre, job centre, job centre. Just be, <laughs> just, be, just be interrupting people saying job centre over and over again. So uh, the, the job centre is the best bit. Sorry, Leo. No, I was, gonna, I was just going to agree with you as somebody who, who took took the time in and, and did the graft and found the passwords and uh, accessed all of the different levels of flashback in sequence without actually completing them. Uh, I can say that the job center level is the best level in the entire game, <laughs> and, it's, and it's the second level, which I think is something that twelve thirteen does really nicely. That flashback, as I, I, and I love flashback. I think it's a great game, but one thing it does not do really is brevity, because it's quite le- <laughs> it's quite lengthy and it's quite sort of meandering in terms of where it's taking you. Whereas twelve thirteen, I think, is quite is fairly concise in terms of the the process of the game. It's, it's kind of episodic. I think it's kind of more interested in sort of telling you a story than it is um, really challenging with the, the platforming. All you kind of really have access to doing this is like jump, grab ledges, shoot with unlimited ammo and use some items. Um, and it kind of takes those simple elements and combines them in, in a few different ways. Once you escape this, um, after a couple of these 
trials. He kind of wake up and the whole the whole place is in disarray. Um, there's kind of blood on on the walls. Weird kind of zombie creatures kicking about. Um, and you've kind of used this this chaos as an opportunity to um, to get out of this facility and kind of figure out like, what's really going on. And again, slightly kind of cliched ways like you're getting the story delivered to you through uh, computer terminals with kind yeah. of messages on them and like kind of an environmental storytelling, um, which, you know, you've, you've probably seen a million times, but it felt quite kind of fresh back in 2006 when this came out. Yeah, there's just this kind of like, just driven by the sort of sense of mysteries, like why why is this guy here? Um, why are these kind of zombies cutting about? I mean, there, there, are, there are really two kinds of people. There is the type of person that is going to go, oh yes, audio logs, I want to find more of these. And there is somebody that goes, oh, there's, it's one of these games, is it? I just, I, I, I want to just keep platforming. <laughs> I mean, like, when I go up to like, a computer terminal and you can see a guy, kind of, he's he'd slumped down on his desk in blood behind him as if he's blowing his brains out. And then you read in the terminal a line of something like, oh God, like, why didn't they tell us? Oh God, why? I'm like, nah, I'm hooked. Like, I need to, <laughs> I, yeah. I need to know what's going on. Yeah, just kind of um, progressing through and, and kind of doing platforming, um, occasional kind of set piece uh, boss fight and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the main thing is the, the story, and I think it pulled it pulled off quite well. Like it's just a kind of sense of like impending dread. We kind of just things in the in the environment, like kind of wee bits of graphics and wee kind of scenes, and where you're like, what, what, what what's going on there? Like, why is there all these? Why do I go into the post box and all these letters are just getting ripped up? Like, um, why is that person's body lying there with a message scrawled in blood and stuff like that? That's kind of what kept me going through playing the game. So I've got a couple of questions. Um, this is the one that I played. I has. I think I can. I can picture it in my head what it looks like. Is it kind of pixel artish with skinny characters? Yeah, I very much like your um, um, Prince of Persia style. It probably isn't. Actually, uh, rotoscoped in the way the Prince of Persia was, but that kind of like realistic proportions uh, of the characters. Um, not very many colours, but it kind of it's just quite kind of clean looking, really quite clean looking pixel art. And then, um, what like are the see where a lot of these games made in about that two thousands to mid two thousands era? A lot of them, you tended to just I found that things were shared about a lot more. There was like resource libraries for sound effects, even for music and things like that. So yeah, how were the tunes and how were the sound effects? So the tunes, um, if you played any of the kind of like RPG Maker 2K games, you'll be quite familiar with the style of MIDI uh, tunes that you have. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the tunes, I think, are kind of well well composed um, and like you know, quite decent tunes, but probably let down by the... Um, the unmistakable sound of MIDI uh, toms, um, MIDI drumming, which is yeah, just just bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, despite despite that, it kind of it kind of achieves what is what it's going for in terms of kind of atmospheric music. <laughs> you mentioned sound effects. There was like there was a sound effect to a door opening that just like whenever I heard it when I was replaying this game, it just instantly took me back to about a hundred other games. I've played. I've used that exact same sound effect. Oh, it's. Um, um, I used to watch a lot of flash cartoons as well, and they all yeah. had this, this same gun noises and the same like Star Trek automatic door opening noises and all that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was a website that we used to go on for making like um, Sonic fan games, and it was like somebody had just made or collected um, general many renditions of popular tunes. Ah. Uh-huh. And you would kind of tunes from video games or tunes from TV shows, um, like that's why we've you know that Nuggets versus the Pokemon. There's like Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero and fucking really incongruous tune, Terminator theme tune and stuff yeah. like that. The overworld music is fucking the Simpsons tune. Like it's like, <laughs> I, like it's... <laughs> yeah, this one. I'm not sure if um, Yatsey actually composed any of this music himself, but it's definitely not as, as obvious <laughs> as um, some of the choices I made. Uh, when I was making games, but it's, I mean, it's, yeah, I think quite like that, that whole era, you know, it was all quite amateurish, um, a lot of kind of reused stuff, um, a lot of engines that were quite 
kind of primitive, but there's a kind of there's a charm to it. I would say. How easy is it to get your hands on this now? Is it still a type of thing you can Google and there you go, you'll be you've got a copy of it. Yeah, yeah, you can go on um, his website and find it. Um, it's a kind of it originally came out in a kind of episodic format. This one there's like a special edition which kind of combines them all together, and it's got a kind of special prequel chapter which is very weird and hallucinatory, which I quite liked. Um, but yeah, it's it's worth it if you enjoy that kind of mystery story. And you know, I think the ending, if you're ending like me, will actually make your jaw hit the floor. <laughs> so it's worth it for that. The the one uh Yahtzee's games or Ben Croshaw or however it goes by these days, um the art was really into is actually um an earlier one than this. So twelve thirteen was two thousand and six. Um and I played one called Adventures in the Galaxy of Fantabulous Wonderment, which came out in two thousand and five. Ah, you've heard of this one. This is kinda it was kinda like a mix of like um point click adventure but also kinda like you know those kind of space trading games like Elite? So you're a you're an accountant at this fucking mind-numbing office job um, in fucking England somewhere. You're waiting for your bus home and you get abducted by aliens. The aliens are using you as a red shirt. There's this kind of funny meta commentary on Star Trek <laughs> where red shirts are a resource. They are slaves that you beam down to do dangerous missions um, because people aren't People are too important to go themselves. You end up surviving your mission, and the captain's got amnesia. Uh, there we go, amnesia again. And then, there you go, start <laughs> start again. But um, it's a combination of, uh, yeah, very much LucasArts-style, point-and-click, walk-to, talk-to, pick-up, use-on. Um, you've got trading, which is definitely not everybody's cup of tea, but <laughs> um, it kept me interested because the, the trading was all quite funny stuff, and I was probably a teenager. You were... Trading like um, porn mags and chocolate bars <laughs> and things like that. So that's quite good. And then the other part of it was turn-based battles and spaceships. Um, and you had to do the trading side quest stuff in order to buy better shields, better lasers and things like that for your own spaceship. And I thought it was fucking cool. I remember playing the deep space trading sim bit just off my own back for fucking hours. Like, apropos a fucking... <laughs> But yeah, there's a there's another one of Yahtzee's catalogue I would throw in as a as a wee recommendation at the end of a recommendation. I think yeah. uh, trading in games must be one of those things that again is like audio logs. You either you're either into it or you're not. Because I remember <laughs> when I was younger, I started playing this series of uh, fantasy game books called Fabled Lands, which is a bit like fighting fantasy but more in depth. And there was twelve books, and they all kind of were a different part of this one world so you could kind of travel between the books and there was I remember when I discovered that there's a feature in that where you can buy like wheat in one book and then get in your boat and go over to another country somewhere else in the world and then the wheat is worth more and you can sell it for more money and I was like wow this is amazing and I just I didn't bother doing any of the story it was like oblivion I'm just doing the side quest just just trading wheat to get the the most money I could this this one had a I think a galaxy was divided into three sectors and um, in the most heavily policed sector, you could sell your porn, you could sell armaments, and you could sell chocolate for, like, fucking 200 times their price. But a polis would always be instantly right on you. So you had, <laughs> you had to have a really good ship to be able to do that. But I, I, something about that just made me go, I want to make these runs. <laughs> Fuck the popo. <laughs> one, three, one, two. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Um, Twelve thirteen. You can still get your hands on it now. Um, it's a it's a free download. And um, ah, Yatsy's Yatsy's got a couple of other games made around about that time. If it sounds interesting, I'm amazed that they still work in um, Windows Ten. But I, surprisingly, they work fine. Well, I mean, for for what I've got um, coming up at the end, I I was I was pretty surprised too when I was looking at some of the ones that I, I'm going to talk about. But um, first, we'll be coming off the PC onto. The Humble Game Boy, which we were talking about a wee bit in our kind of introduction. I, Leo, what, what have you got for us? What, what's your recommendation today? Yeah, so I, I was thinking back about kind of hidden gems from a wee while ago rather than more more recent games. Because I was thinking about talking about Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, um, oh, yeah. which is oh, a, I... kind of a walk-in sim um, that came out on 
console a couple of years ago, which is great, uh, and I do recommend. But I was trying to think of something a bit older, um, and I was thinking back to when I got my Game Boy in the 90s, and all I had on it, I think, was an arcade party pack which had Joust and Asteroids and Missile Command on it, and this other game, which is the one I wanted to talk about, which was called Arbor, A-R-B-O-U-R, which is just a very weird game. Um, and I, I, I was kind of... I um, I had never heard of it before in my puff until, um, you know, in the group chat when, when we were talking about doing this episode, um, and I was, I was sort of looking into it. But I, um, it sounds like a strange one. Yeah, I was trying to think of how best to describe it. I think the 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 easiest way to put it is that it's like a walking sim effect. Basically, it's a game where you play a person walking through a forest, and you, you basically just walk from left to right through a forest, kind of ad nauseum, and nothing particularly happens in it when I, when I remember playing it. It's 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 by today's standards, by like kind of indie standards. Nowadays, it wouldn't necessarily seem that weird. There, there are other games it makes me think of more recently that yeah. that it kind of it wouldn't really seem that strange. But it was out in uh, I had to look it up. Nineteen ninety four, it came out, and it's just a really, really peculiar game. Um, you didn't really get walking simulators, but is that is is it like the first instance of anything that could like be called that? Well, because I, 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 I wanted to look this up because I was trying to find out whether whether it it was kind of like the the, the father of of uh, of walking sim genres. There is actually a game from about ten years before it called The Forest. Um, it was developed by a guy called Graham Ralph, who I, I don't know a great deal about, but I think he was a fairly significant man in the kind of spectrum era of video games, which is also about just playing somebody walking through a forest and is kind of effectively a. Uh, a walking sim, but that one was specifically designed to help people interpret maps, ah. um, and it was kind of more uh, like a, orienteer. Yeah, it was an orient, more an orienteering sim than a walking sim, and it was okay. kind of a teaching tool. Whereas Arbor doesn't really have that because it doesn't have any sort of instruction or dialogue or really much of an objective, as far as I can tell. Well, it's one of these. It's one of these things where you, you kind of wonder if it was an an influence on these more modern games, or just like a, a strange coincidence that people have decided to go I down mean, the same to, route. To paraphrase Human Traffic, the forest wants to explore outer space, but Arbor <laughs> wants to explore inner space. <laughs> I'm going to Harper, I guess, and say that is this game Japanese? Uh, it's actually not. It's it's. Uh, I believe so. The company is called Inksoft. And I, yeah, I think, well, it's European because, it, as far as I can tell, Arbor was only released in certainly only in PAL regions. Um, so I don't know if it came out in Australia or not. But it, it, as far as I can tell, it may only have come out in Europe. And uh, it, it's it's more interesting than it sounds. It's a it's a creepy pasta. It was made by a philosophy teacher who killed himself, and his his ghost <laughs> is in the cartridge. He's trying to uh, brainwash people into joining the the FBI. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of nice, though. It was weird going back to it because I, I had kind of vague memories of it. I don't think I played it very much when I was when I had it when I was younger, and. It, it was nice kind of going back to it because it, it actually, considering that it's on a Game Boy, which is not known particularly for, for its amazing environments or sound, it's actually quite nice the way that it, the way that it looks and the way that it sounds. The, I mean, the, kind of, the shades of green on the screen, I imagine, kind of, kind of well suited to like a, a forest environment, even if there's only four of them. It does. Well, yeah, exactly. It kind of manages... It doesn't do what most... Game Boy games, like platform games, usually would do where you kind of had a lot of empty space with some detail in. It, it had these kind of drawn, what I guess looked like kind of drawn environments uh, that were quite kind of lush <laughs> to use some forest yeah. imagery. But I mean, with with those Game Boy graphics, they fucking everything kind of looks mosaic-y. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not it's, particularly easy to tell what's going, what you're looking at at any point. Yeah, it was kind of tile-based. It's, it's kind of how it worked under the hood, I think. Um, what are these wee fucking uh, mini game sections? It's like the the other kind of main um, crux of the gameplay, I guess, if you could call it that. 
Yeah, so apart from walking, so the, the, the way that the controls work, I should say, actually, because that's one of the things that's kind of weird about it. You, you, the Game Boy, obviously, you've got the A and B button and the, and the D-pad. In Arbor, rather than using the D-pad to walk, you walk using the A and B buttons, uh, and the D-pad left and right is just used to kind of move the camera so that you can just see a little bit more of the, of the screen either side of you. Um, <laughs> Which means that you can only walk in one direction. There's no way to turn around. You just alternating A and B just makes you move left to right, and there's no other direction you can move in. But yeah, there are these sort of, I guess, I guess you could call them mini game sections. There are you find notes basically as you go along, kind of either on the floor or, or sometimes kind of stuck to trees. And when you move up to them, it just sort of transitions to show you what's on the note. And they just have these sort of little puzzles or little kind of riddles on them. Like there's one that's just a kind of half filled in noughts and crosses game that kind of has one move left to be made to win the noughts and crosses game or sometimes they're these kind of very brief written riddles um but there's no way in the game to actually fill them in or, or give a solution to them they're, they're just sort of there <laughs> for you to up. think about see i get the x and o's and i got a fucking brain teaser it was that fucking you know, one man gets on a bus um, and he meets fucking six other people and blah, blah, blah. Um, how many people went in the fucking destination type thing? Do, they, do you always get the same notes in the same order? There, there are different ones. Uh, I didn't play it enough to... I got... No, I didn't play it enough to get any duplicates, I don't think. I got two kind of visual puzzles. I got the, I got the notes and crosses one and there was another one that was sort of like a little maze. But the the written ones, I I had one that was that it was just a question that said, "What question can you never answer yes to?" Um, <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I spent, I spent some time thinking about that one. They they just sort of stay on the screen until you press a button to start moving again, and then they go away yeah. and you just carry on going. So as far as I can tell, they were just kind of thrown in as as I, I, I very charitably could call it a kind of distant ancestor of kind of ARG. But in a in a in a very 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 loose way. But that was it was quite a kind of a, a nice thing back back in the day when you know when PCs and consoles were, were quite, quite limited. Like they did sometimes bring in elements outside of the game. Like you know you've got the sort of thing where the old dungeon crawler games, like you would need to get your craft paper out and like draw a map in order so that you wouldn't get lost because the game wouldn't have a an, an actual map in it. Or um, to go to something that we had on. Neddy with a fucking uh, Carmen San Diego games. They used to come with a fucking atlas that you would be able to look up <laughs> these historical facts and things like that. And that's something that's been kind of lost lost to time. You, you also, as a, as a bit of an aside, something that kind of blew my mind from back in the day was the copy protection for old games. Like I think for um, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, which we talked about, there was like a code wheel thing that you had to you had to turn. It was like a real kind of physical artifact that you had to use to actually be able to play the game. The idea being that it's something that you couldn't copy. You know, it's easy you can copy a disc. Um, Aye. I'm getting interested in this idea of, like, um, you know, kind of games being part video game and part physical. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm operating under the... I think, I think my idea now is that Inksoft must have been from the Netherlands... And the Arbor is uh, the world's first weed game. <laughs> you know, that's maybe the most sensible explanation of it that, that I've heard. Actually, that yeah, that that suddenly it all starts to come together. <laughs> I mean, see, see, going to it now when I can download a ROM and fuck about with it and go, oh, this is really interesting. Um, it's it's great. It's no fucking an unpleasant thing to play at all. However, if I was a child and it was between, you know, getting this and The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening. I, I would have been fucking raging to get him and find out that this is how the game was. I mean, this came out the same year that fucking Wario Land came out. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really, for, for all of its interestingness and its experimentalness, it doesn't really compare, to be honest. In fact, here's here's something, because I don't really know about the, the original Game Boy because... We had one, but all our games were hand-me-downs. I think they were they were mostly my uncles. We just had, you know, we had the wee pile analogy. We um, <laughs> made a cup, couple of games. 
that we would just we just had. It wasn't until uh, I got the Game Boy Color with Pokemon Christmas fucking nineteen ninety eight or ninety nine or whenever it was that I would uh, actively bought Game Boy games. And at this point, the Game Boy Color did have budget games. There were like you know Game and Watch Mini Collection, and that would have been cheaper than buying the latest Pokemon game or whatever. But I don't know if the old school grey Game Boy carts rather had a price structure like that. Possibly did. I mean that would that would kind of make sense. I mean because I, I certainly like I said, I, I one of the first games I ever got on my Game Boy was these wee arcade party packs. Um, or, yeah. Well, they weren't called party packs, but kind of arcade collections, and I don't believe that they were kind of full like full game price at the at the time um they were definitely a kind of budget choice the hand-me-down notion of of, of video games is a, something that's quite lost these days as well because i mean you know we've, we've pretty much moved into the era where everything is downloaded like you, you wouldn't really get handed down a, a game of like unknown provenance like literally um which is quite and i guess that's kind of where that whole like you're saying creepy pasta like that's a, a lot of the, those kind of stories are based on Oh, I bought this old um, copy of Green at a time at a, at a car boot sale, and it's haunted somewhere. Like, you're not going to be like, oh, I went on this haunted website. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, yeah, the, that, that kind of element adds a bit of mystique to it. Although haunted ROMs are a, a big part of Creepypasta now, there's a, there's a haunted Sonic ROM. <laughs> I mean, the only haunted ROMs I've had are ones that kind of start, like, popping up hentai adverts or a virus in them. But, yeah, I, I mean, Arbor, because Arbor did have an instruction book as well, because I got it, it came in a box with an instruction book, It's just, but it's lost to time, uh, it's, it's, uh, and I have no idea where it was, and I don't I really remember. Probably quite quite poorly translated from German. Presumably, yeah. You might be able to find it. There's probably Somebody's probably scanned it online somewhere. Um, <laughs> um, it's just full of, it's full of Nietzsche quotes. Um, <laughs> then the very, the very back page, it says, are you afraid to die? <laughs> <laughs> and the Germans have a kind of history of making um, quite non-violent games for like reasons that I, that I probably don't need to explain. Um, but like, yeah, they, they shy away from violence in a lot of their games. I think that's where you get things like Euro Truck Simulator and like Farming Simulator, rather than you know shooting people simulator yeah. in Germany a lot of the time. The German version of Half Life. All of the guys that work at Black Mesa are robots, I think. Yeah, the, there was a thing where it was illegal to show blood. There was like it, a lot of games had uh, like zombies instead of humans. I am um, Green Blood is a, a notable one, and um, it bled over into no pun intended. By the way, um, it bled over into your games market as well because sometimes it would just be would make the one cartridge for the whole of the PAL region, and that was it. So that was why instead of fucking Contra, we got like Pro Protector, and everything everything was robots instead of fucking army men. <laughs> it's kind of ironic because um, dehumanizing someone in order to make them easier to kill. <laughs> the opposite effect, really. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, Leo, what's your what's your kind of final thoughts on Arbor? I think Arbor is something of an evolutionary dead end from the nineties, but that has, in the last ten or fifteen years, been kind of resurrected um, as, as these games, kind of walking sims, have kind of re reemerged. Because it used to be an insult walking sim, and it's now just an established genre of game. I know. I think that, that that name like is is now was used ironically, and now it's just oh yeah, it's a walking simulator. That's what they call them. Uh, and also just kind of art games and and kind of experimental games. I think it was really interesting, um, and I do feel like if it were not so difficult to get hold of, I suppose you could just get a, a ROM actually and just emulate it. It's worth spending a little bit of time with because it's just it, it looks really interesting for a Game Boy game, and it sounds. I mean, it's just Game Boy game sounds, but the way that they're used, it's actually quite atmospheric in a way. That yeah, that's what I'm kind of curious about because, like, the, the Game Boy could pretty much just make like square and triangle tones and weird noise, weird digital noise, like kind of create some sort of ambience out of that. That the, the sound is fucking quite a, a strange feature of it as well. Actually, I don't know if we touched on. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really come. To, I mean, there's not a huge amount to say about it other than that. Yeah. Considering what the Game Boy sound card or sound technology in the Game Boy, I don't know if sound card's even the right term. I, I, I thought I had my sound turned down because I'd been playing it for a wee while 
And I think it was just like a kind of... It made like a kind of funny wee walking sound. But I did, then a wee tune kicked in <laughs> after I'd been playing it for a while. Mm-hmm. There are, there are, it is mostly just walking sounds and then these occasional sort of, I think what are supposed to be maybe bird noises. There's these, these, kind, of, right. these kind of weird sort of dweeps. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there are, and then just kind of spontaneously, there are these little bits of tune um, that don't, I thought maybe they coincided with the notes because it they happened. I got one once when I found a note, but then they do they do just sort of seem to happen sporadically. So I don't know if that was on purpose or if they were supposed to be corresponding with something and it just and it just didn't work quite as as intended. But yeah, there are these these funny little, very very short, kind of four or five second little melodies that 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 played spontaneously every now and again. Aye, I made me shut myself. Um, but but a but a pleasant way. But I check out Arbor. Um, not that we advocate emulating, but uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. no, never. Wink, wink. Yeah, only emulate it if you own the game. I did have a look actually to see how easy it is to get hold of. Uh, there was one eBay listing for it that was uh, about seventy seventy something pounds. Um, oh really? That, yeah, that has since gone. So I don't know if that if it was delisted or if somebody bought it, but uh, I couldn't find any other. So so. Definitely don't emulate it, but also if you want to play it, that's you, you're gonna have to emulate it. <laughs> um, and, and Andy Mike, when you're listening to this in the future, uh, don't try to get into that Arbor Market speculation. Um, <laughs> it's, it's only going to lead to tears. So that brings us to our last kind of and this we uh, miniature recommendations special, I guess, and it's something that I wanted to bring up. Basically, there's a, a game developer, a mysterious game developer. Um, and he comes from Ireland, so uh, shout out to our pals over there. But he's called The Catamites, and he made these really, really strange indie games for years. Um, and I wanted to talk about one that I enjoy called uh, Murder Dog 4, Trial of the Murder Dog. And they're running potentially for like one of the greatest video game titles of all time. <laughs> I actually didn't know that that was the full title. <laughs> well, it was just called Trial of the Murder Dog, and I did not know that it had Murder Dog 4 as the start. Yeah, Murder Dog 4, yep. Um, Even funnier because there is no Murder Dog 1 to 3. <laughs> and um, in spite of you playing as this um, all-powerful murderous canine, you do not actually get to use any of his uh, murderous powers. Well, I mean, arguably you do. Um, it's mostly a courtroom drama. <laughs> where you are picking different responses and different things to do. It is actually, uh, it was made in the adventure game studio that McCormick oh, really? was talking about earlier. Yes. I thought I recognised um, the font. It look, that's, it's got that adventure game studio font with the the wee lawyer guy talking at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's very very bare bones. Um, you see, if you download it, and again, this is a type of thing, type Murder Dog 4, trial a Murder Dog into Google, you'll get it. You can download it within minutes. The plot of the game is that Murder Dog is on trial at The Hague for crimes against humanity, and <laughs> you have to mount a defence for these crimes on Murder Dog's behalf, and, and Murder Dog acts them out. All the while, there is a different dog, who Leo just mentioned, that pops up at the bottom of the screen and critiques the modern legal system throughout. He thinks it's stupid and outdated and he, he hates it. And he'll, constant, <laughs> he'll constantly point out how ridiculous it is that using this argument, Murder Dog can actually make himself look less guilty of committing these atrocities when it's clear to everybody that he did and he's extremely guilty. Um, I was never quite sure what he was meant to be. Like, was he like a lawyer or just a kind of commentator or like a, a Greek chorus sort of thing? Closer to a Greek chorus. He's an, he's an unseen narrator. Um, who's just, yeah, mostly giving commentary on the legal system itself, uh, but sometimes about Murder Dog and his predicaments. Um, so <laughs> it's mostly made out of paper and cardboard and pictures that this guy has taken, um, I believe, and um, the models are made out of plasticine. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, it's it's uh, stop-motion type stuff. It's it's got a really funny aesthetic, and it's the 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 best stuff is in fucking you know the the written dialogue itself. Um, Murder dog. They ask him if he's got any opening statements, and he said um, he says fucking my thirst for bloodshed remains voluminous. <laughs> um, 
and I, that just kind of sets the tone for the whole game, really. There's a, there's a bit as well where he says, let the record state that I have never made substantial profits on my murderous rampages, unlike certain journalists. Yeah, yeah, you put... I'm, I'm trying not to get too many of the solutions away for, for, for when people play themselves, but you can get a journalist up on the stands and you ask him about all the, the murder dogs' horrible atrocities. And, yeah, and, and how he's had PTSD from them and that. And then you start asking him about his awards and how much money he's made. And then, yeah, murder dog points out, well... I never get rich for one of my rampages and um, I believe he also says um, I think we all know who the real murder dog is here um, and then the the journalist gets too emotional to testify against you but yeah there's a a few different endings you can get there's one where you go on the run there's a couple where murder dog gets executed or he gets a reduced sentence um, obviously the best ending is you want to get murder dog halfway it. you want murder dog to walk out the Hague as a free man and and in doing so, expose the the great inequities in our justice system. <laughs> I, I mean, according to the wee dog narrator, um, that is very much what you're doing. But yeah, um, you have three pieces of evidence that you need to pick what to do with, and then you have three witnesses to cross examine, and that's basically it. It's fucking it's it's Phoenix right for sickos. Um, <laughs> it's. But I, I fucking love it. It's a, a great wee hang to fuck about with. You, you'll play through it in about 20 minutes. McCormick likes a bit of the Catamites as well. And he was talking about Space Funeral. But, um, Aye, yeah, I Space think, Funeral was great. But I think um, if you're talking to a broad audience, telling somebody to play Space Funeral before they played Murder Dog, I think for me is like getting somebody their first eight game before their first pint. <laughs> um, I don't think a lot of people would be ready for Space Funeral. Space Funeral is it's an RPG maker game, but with this ridiculously like, over the top bogging aesthetic, he's like drawing everything to be really, really upsetting looking and kind of yeah. janky. Like all these really like clashing colours and like the, the music is all like kind of early, very early electronic music, like kind of like the um, BBC Radiophonic Orchestra and stuff like that. You know, the folk that made the tunes to. Doctor Who and all these kind of weird sci-fi it's all, it's all that kind of music After you meet Leghorse who in Space Funeral the best character is called Leghorse he's a, <laughs> he, he's literally a horse made out of legs he's your, your only party member because it's a role playing game you, you sail to a place called Blood Island and then it's a really really strange sample of like a woman talking Yeah there's like a, a kind of spoken word thing with these unsettling synths underneath it When the low heavy sky weighs like a lid on the spirit aching for the light and when embracing the horizon it pours on us a black day which is sadder than any night when the earth is turned into a dripping dungeon in which hope like a bat flutters blindly and bruises its timid wing and tender head against the walls and rotted ceilings when the rain stretching down its long streaks of water imitates the bars of an enormous prison and a silent throng of loathsome spiders come and weave their webs inside our brains and suddenly the bells swing angrily and hurl their hideous uproar into the sky like a band of wandering spirits who wail relentlessly long hearses without drums or music move in a slow procession through my soul and defeated hope bursts into tears and the fierce tyrant anguish sets his black banner on my bowed head I, I, I absolutely love sound design like that there was um I'll not talk about it too much, but uh, an RPG that was re-released on the Switch recently called Moon, um, which is a kind of early anti-RPG, uh, and all of the character dialogue is done in like these really strange, manipulated, um, cut-up sort of radio and talk show clips. Uh, ah, and it's just a, it's just a really strange, cool. really kind of unnerving but very funny sound. Um, and yeah, Space Funeral's soundtrack has a lot of that as well. Just kind of like human voices where there shouldn't be human voices that are yeah. saying words that are real words but don't somehow don't mean anything. And it's very kind of it's very off-putting, but in a in a very appealing way. 
Yes, but it's like when, when we've kind of talked about games that we like that are kind of like subverting the traditional RPG formula, things like Undertale and stuff, like I suppose you could you could compare this a little bit to that, except it's like much more uh, mean-spirited and much more kind of like punk in its aesthetic. Your character's constantly I, crying, I, I think. Yeah, constantly. Um, and to heal in this game, you walk up to a coffin that you are in and it just says, would, would you like to rest? And then when you say yes, it recovers your HP and MP, and then it says you feel better, but not much. <laughs> Amazing. I don't know what you'd compare Catamax to in, like, other media. Like, it's all very, kind of, like, very DIY, very punk, not trying to be, like, commercial games in the slightest. Um, I mean, as that, and this is why, um, I mean, that's kind of why um, I made Space Dog, my, my recommendation, Space Dog, I'm, I'm mixing up the two titles. Um, this is why I made uh, Murder Dog my recommendation for the night, because just the Catamites is still out there, Persona Non Grata, unknown, but he is still making games, he's still making weird wee games to this day. Um, you can go on his itch.io. His one came out in 2019 called 10 Beautiful Postcards. Supposed to be dead funny. Um, Bye. Fucking really cool shit. Worth checking out. And um, if you're looking for a a wee intro, just something to wet your beak on that you can play through in like 20 minutes, no bother. Download Murder Dog 4, Trial of the Murder Dog. And like me, hopefully you will want to get that beloved scamp off with um, committing genocide. <laughs> One thing that... <laughs> I liked about Murder Dog a lot was that it, it does that really satisfying thing that games do where it lets you, although it has a very limited amount of stuff you can do, it lets you do just about anything that you want. You've got the, these little kind of list of commands that you can do. You can use something or you can eat something or you can destroy something and in the menu you've got access to the three bits of evidence the jury and your witnesses and without saying too much about what you can do and what happens, you can use any of your three commands on any of the things <laughs> yeah, at you your disposal in the in the. You can do, yeah, you can click destroy jury, destroy witnesses, eat jury witnesses, blah blah blah. Um, yeah, there's, there's, but I, it's um, and it's very very well written. It's funny. I believe he made Murder Dog Four: Trial of the Murder Dog on one of the game jam type things. Um, yeah, that makes sense. It's. I mean. Nay, I'm not dissing the game, obviously, I like it, but, you know, if somebody says to me, I ain't made that in two weeks, I'd be like, I, I, I mean, I, I like it and that, but it feels as if it was made in two weeks, um, but it's not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's small but perfectly formed. One of my favourite murder dog quotes that I just, just came to me there as we were talking is that he, I can't remember the whole sentence, but he had, what, at one point refers to himself as uh, he remains the dog without qualities, which, <laughs> which I really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, I think the the Camus is one of these creators, you know, when you hear about like um, Vincent van Gogh or like Leonardo da Vinci, it's like they didn't have much success in their time, they died penniless and that, but you know, it takes hundreds of years before their <laughs> their art is fully appreciated. I mean, I, I I like it, I respect the creator that's no doesn't they put that much of themselves out there and sort of just talks to, like um obviously uh big fans of on this podcast uh Lisa do you know that fuck uh, RPG maker game Lisa the Painful yeah Austin Jorgensen is quite a fucking he's a wee bit of a kind of hermit as himself um in which almost to a degree where I wish he wasn't because <laughs> I, I would like to hear his brain a bit yeah I would like to hear him talk about Lisa a wee bit more at least um but no, he, he never really gave much away. And, you know, to, to be fair to him, neither does your man Toby Fox for Undertale. He's he's quite a guarded personality as well. Um, something about that I quite like and I quite respect, I think. I think as, as an artist, I would probably prefer to be known for, like, rather than being a kind of, you know, a superstar that kind of goes to loads of conferences and has an adoring fan base. Just somebody that's got an HIO page for, like, Ten really, really strange, um, but interesting kind of mysterious games on there, and there's not much else. You always want to be the this 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 kind of storied, mysterious creator, don't you? Rather than the rather than the big kind and of I celebrity mean, face one. That's what the Catamites is. You wouldn't describe the Catamites games as being like anybody else's. You would describe other cunts' games as being 
like the Catamites, and that is that's the best tribute I can pay him. I think. I think that's very true. Yeah. Um, but I that's that's really all I've got to say on. Um, definitely check out Murder Dog. Um, if you're feeling bold enough for your first decade, get into Space Funeral. Um, and and check <laughs> check out his other work. After this, we will. We will be taking a return to our regularly scheduled programming before very long. Um, we are still releasing an episode where McCormick has played Tenshu, Andy Mack has played GTA 2, and I've played, um, funnily enough, the flashback sequel, Fade to Black. One of my favorites. Um, oh, God. Um, no, I'm not getting into that. Just, to, <laughs> just not, It's not that episode. Um, <laughs> I, but, but we've got that coming up for you next. Um I'm just a while I'm kind of thinking about it, just a general recommendation for the website itch.io, um, which is a kind of seems to be the main place for people to put up their um, small, quirky indie projects these days. Um, a big fan of a creator called Kitty Horror Show, who creates some quite abstract kind of horror games. Um, there's also another kind of creator of quite um, creepy games called Yames, um, which just read out the description of one of his games, um, Water Womb World which is about aqua-Catholicism exploring man's original origins, which is pretty interesting. Oh, you check out one, If you want to play a game, but you only have about four seconds to do it in, um, <laughs> I would recommend a game called Queers in Love at the End of the World by Anna Anthropy, um, which is a sort of text adventure that takes place in the final moments before the world ends. And when I say final moments, I mean literally the last sort of four or five seconds or so um and you can play it over as many times as you like but that's it's it's a very cool concept very neatly executed that is interesting as well um so check out all the things uh listener and all i've got to say if you ever find yourself at the hague similar to murder dog fucking deny 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 and always fucking double down Cheers. <laughs> Don't buy Dune. Double Dune. <laughs> <laughs>